Hello, small business owners. Welcome to this episode of the Freedom Focus Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about a topic that's been pretty popular the past several months in the news media. That topic is a four-day work week. In today's show, we're going to begin by exploring a little bit of history on the average number of hours Americans have worked each week, looking back over the past 200 years. Next, we'll consider how we spend the two out of seven days each week that are supposed to be days off and why one author asked the question, who killed the weekend? We'll then consider whether a four-day work week is even feasible and, if so, beneficial to both employers and employees. Lastly, I'll make some suggestions on how to make a four-day work week possible for your small business. There's lots to cover, so hang on to your seats as I share tons of information that I know you're going to find very interesting and useful. The coronavirus pandemic has resulted in many, many changes to how employers and employees think about how we work. Working remotely versus in-person is the most obvious change that has moved from a topic of occasional consideration before the pandemic to front and center for every possible position in every organization, be that public, private, or even nonprofit. You might think this dramatic reconsideration of how we work is the driver behind the relatively hot topic lately of reducing the standard work week from five down to four days. However, the truth is that we've been on a trend of fewer and fewer days and hours of work for the past 200 years. So the pandemic was just the latest fuel on the fire for less work time and more time for everything else in life, including time for rejuvenation. Research shows that the average American work week way back in the 1830s was about 70 hours per week. And it's not hard math to realize that this is roughly 10 hours a day working seven days a week. If you think a little harder about this in the context of that time in our history, 10 hour days equates to roughly the time between the sun rising in the morning and the time it sets at night. So most work in the early 19th century was agricultural, planting and harvesting, tending to livestock, and the upkeep of everything necessary to grow crops and raise animals. So a 70 hour work week for working outdoors makes perfect sense. And daylight hours were not only important for working outdoors, they were also important for working indoors where the lighting was pretty poor quality. It was candles or lanterns or maybe even a fire in the hearth. Windows and open doors that provided lots of natural light meant work could only be done as long as the sun was shining even indoors. Now, as more and more work moved from agriculture to factories with the coming of the Industrial Revolution and the invention of electric lighting, Hours shifted downward, and by the late 1800s, the average work week was down to 60 hours, perhaps because of time off on Sundays that was existing, and working 10-hour days and maybe only those six days a week that were left. The real change in work hours in the United States came in 1914, when Henry Ford reduced the work hours in his factories to eight-hour days, six days a week, for a new average of 48 hours per week. And Ford realized that his employees were more productive when they weren't worked so hard, meaning more bang for the buck. So in 1926, he further reduced the work week to only five, eight hour days for a total of 40 hours per week. And believe it or not, we almost had a 30 hour work week back in the 1930s. 
At the beginning of Franklin Roosevelt's presidency in 1933, in his now famous first 100 days, there was a push by members of Congress to put in place that 30-hour work week. This effort ultimately failed, but five years later, the federal government did pass the Fair Labor Standards Act of 1938, which made a 40-hour work week the law of the land that we have to this day. While the push for a shorter work week made gradual progress from the 1830s to the 1930s being cut almost in half, workers, especially today, don't do a very good job of taking a break or rejuvenating on the two days that we do have off on the weekend. This problem, by the way, is not unique to the United States. In an article for The Guardian written by Katrina Onstad, who lives in the UK, she asked the rhetorical question, who killed the weekend? The article summarizes Katrina's crazy idea as follows, quote, why not take off a couple of days every week and relax? Don't cram them with frantic shopping, desperate play dates, or crafty work doing emails, and certainly don't make them exactly the same as the other five days, end quote. How many of you listening are guilty of this? And if you're being honest, I'm sure you're admitting that you probably are, because most of us are. The problem is, if we're really considering fewer work days, which means one more day not working, we have to consider what's even the point if we're going to waste all of it doing work anyway, without any time for the all-important rejuvenation. Over the past five years or so, I've come to realize that packing my own weekends full of scheduled activities simply leads to burnout. I never really feel refreshed and recharged unless I slow down and create greater opportunity for rejuvenation to actually be possible. And how do I do this? As I like to say often, my favorite weekend is one that has absolutely nothing on the calendar. That's right, little to nothing planned or actually scheduled. Doing this doesn't mean that I don't have stuff to do on the weekends or that I sit around every weekend like a couch potato doing nothing. What it does mean, for me anyway, is that I get to sleep in on Saturdays and Sundays, getting the best kind of battery recharge and rejuvenation that there is, and that's plenty of sleep. Especially after a long week of working hard, I almost always have Saturday and Sunday mornings to look forward to, because I'm sleeping in. I'm not actually sleeping until noon or one on the weekends, like my teenage daughters are, by the way. They're champions of that. But sleeping until 8.30 or 9 to me is heaven after waking up to a 5 a.m. alarm Monday through Friday. With nothing I have to get done most weekends, there's really no rush to get out of my comfortable bed even after I wake up. Once I do wake, I usually lie in bed reading, listening to music, or making some notes to myself about a creative idea that might have come to me while I was relaxing. One thing I do before getting out of bed that may seem off limits because it's work related is organizing my to-do list for the coming week. Now that would be fair thing to say, but for me, a major factor in my productivity and my efficiency and also a stress reducer for me is being organized and clear about what needs to be done when and in what priority. I use the Aaron's app on my phone to do all of this organizing. And you might recall from my earlier article and podcast, How to Be More Organized, More Productive, and More Reliable, I talk about the Aaron's app. I'm going to put a link to both of these podcasts and articles in the show notes for today's episode, just in case you missed them. 
So it doesn't have to be zero thoughts about work, especially if taking your time to clear your head after a good night's sleep means you're excited, mentally prepared, and looking forward to the coming week. When I do finally roll out of bed, though, in the late morning, I do so when I'm good and ready, not because I have to. And you know what? I enjoy a real breakfast, which is a change from my typical smoothie shakes that I do during the week. And I always look forward to relaxing at the kitchen table, reading the newspaper on my tablet, but taking my time on stories of interest, rather than like I do during the week, reading just the headlines and maybe skimming through an article or two before I have to get back to work. By midday, I finally get around to any tasks set aside for the weekend, including working around the house, maybe running some errands, and most often though for me, taking care of personal work on my computer, most of which does not have to be done if I really didn't want to do it. To be fair, I've gradually been able to get to this pretty balanced place in my life as my daughters got older and more self-sufficient. When they were younger and in grade school, like all parents know, there was no such thing as sleeping in and little time for myself. But whatever you're doing now, whatever that is, I'm certain that you can do better because I was able to do better, albeit gradually over time. And again, to have any hope of benefiting from a shorter work week with more time off from the work, we're going to need to dig deep and start off by taking it easy on the weekends and making the most of the two days that we already have. You might be asking yourself, by now anyway, is a four-day work week even feasible? It sounds great, especially for employees, but is, it really an, is there really an upside for employers and employees? The good news is that rather than just anecdotal evidence of the benefits of a four-day work week, there's a few studies that have already been done and a bunch more that are underway now to provide some objective data to answer these questions. The most often cited study is from Iceland that was completed between 2015 and 2019 and it involved more than 2,500 workers. While those in the study did not reduce their hours per week by that much, they dropped from 40 down to an average of 35 to 36 hours, they did work only four days each week and their pay remained the same and that's important. The findings that I read did not specify what day of the week was taken off, for example, every Friday or maybe Wednesdays, or perhaps some variable day off. What the findings did show is that the four-day work week was an overwhelming success. Quote, productivity and service provision remained the same or improved across the majority of trial workplaces. And worker well-being dramatically increased across a range of indicators, from perceived stress and burnout to a healthy work-life balance. And another publicized study was completed by Microsoft's Japanese division in 2019, and that's worth talking about. It was a five-week trial with all 2,300 employees working four days a week without a decrease in pay. The trial resulted in, quote, more efficient meetings, happier workers, and boosted productivity by a staggering 40%, unquote. An international organization called Four Day Work Week Global is promoting similar studies that are currently underway in Ireland, Spain, New Zealand, the US and Canada, and a big study that's been in the news lately about the United Kingdom. I'm gonna put a link to the Four Day Week Global website in the show notes for today's episode so you can dig in a little more on that if you'd like. 
So it definitely looks like evidence is there and more is on the way showing that a shortened work week from five down to four days is good not just for employees but also for employers. Making a shortened work week a reality is a whole other challenge, particularly when working Monday through Friday with Saturdays and Sundays off is so deeply ingrained in our culture and how we do work. I can tell you from personal experience that I know is similar for most everyone else, it's difficult to not work on a day that everyone else is working. This is particularly hard today when the device that connects us to work is also the one that connects us to everything else in our personal world. Now I'm talking of course about our smartphones. It used to be way back in the 90s, and I can't believe I'm saying way back in the 90s, that leaving the office meant you were actually disconnected from work. I mean, we had computers in the 90s, including email, but they didn't go with us wherever we went. And that's the same with the telephones. In the 90s, we were only reachable if the landline phone rang in the room that we were sitting in, or at least close enough to get the phone when someone came and got us. Now, unless you're very disciplined and tech savvy about setting up your email, texts, and cell phone calls to separate work from personal, the two are hopelessly intertwined and mixed so much that you're effectively on call and unable to escape work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But it doesn't have to be this way. In fact, in order to truly make the most of a four-day work week and the dime that we have off, again, you're going to need to take deliberate steps to separate your work technology from your personal technology. But how do you do this? How do you make a four-day work week possible? Because the idea of a four-day work week is so popular, it's not hard to find examples from those who have actually transitioned their businesses to a four-day work week. One example I'm very aware of comes from Amy Porterfield, who I took an online course from back in 2020. In 2021, Amy did a 90-day experiment with her 20-person team to see if a four-day work week could work for her organization. 60 days in, she decided to share her experience on her podcast, including what, working, what was working, what wasn't working, and lots of insights to help other small business owners to make the same transition if they wanted to. As far as I know, Amy never turned back, and she and her team now all work only four days a week. I'll put a link to Amy's podcast in the show notes for today's episode so you can have a listen. Doing your own research can also help to find other examples. I did a search on Google for the phrase, how to implement a four-day work week, and that yielded 268 million results. So there's plenty of material available to learn from. And the four-day week global website that I referred to earlier that's also in the show notes, that's another great resource with case studies, they've got a white paper, and research articles that you can dive deeper into. Now, of course, I would also be remiss if I didn't mention that the four-day work week is the essence of what Freedom Focused ultimately strives to achieve for business owners and their team. That is greater freedom. The truth is that most of you probably have personal experience that demonstrates why a shortened work week is actually possible and why it leads to greater efficiency and productivity in the first place. If you've ever planned a trip out of town for an extended vacation, say a week or two or maybe three you'd be gone, then you've been in a situation that more or less mimics a four-day work week scenario. Think about it. As the date of your departure for vacation gets closer and closer, most people get hyper-focused. You're gonna avoid less critical activities and you're gonna work more efficiently. And that's because you have to, it's a necessity. 
If you don't, something important, either in your personal life or your professional life, is gonna get left unfinished when you head to the airport for your vacation. And that just feels awful. And it's gonna nag at you the entire time you're away. Not to mention the people who might be let down or at least disappointed that you left them hanging, making their life more difficult while you jetted off to someplace fun. The reality is that most people fill the time they have available when they're doing work. We might, for example, be able to complete a job in four days if we really worked at it, but since we have five, we take five. It's just human nature. With only four days in a week to get work done, you and your team are going to adapt. Over time, your approach to getting everything done will fit within a four-day box, completed more efficiently and more productively, and everyone enjoying the ultimate prize, which is more freedom for rest and rejuvenation of the mind and body. Remember, that's what I call quiescence. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you very much, as always, for being a listener. If you like the show, please be sure to share it with your friends and your colleagues. I look forward to being back with you again in two weeks. Until then, stay focused on your freedom.